greatest Rage of Cajun sports year. How many is that for you? Uh, that was number 30. 30? Yeah. On the radio? Uh-huh. How many is that just overall? Oh, gosh. Um, like 40? No, no, no. Not, qu- not quite that many there. But pump the brakes just a little bit. I think 37. Okay. All right. There you go. You know what? I You're right. Because I the reason I was thinking 40, but you're right, it hasn't been. Well, let me think. It was 1980. The, the first UL broadcast I ever did was a TV broadcast at Alabama in 1984. Okay. So 30. There you go. I just had in my mind. In 2005, when you were talking about the UL-Texas football game, saying, I've been covering the game for about 25 years now. But it was 20, well, it was it, 38 years, though. So 30, 30 on the radio. 37. Where don't, was... Don't um, this worse than it is. Where was... Where does it... Is this one, is this one you think... I'm sure some of them kind of bleed together. Some are more memorable than others. Where, where would this one be for you? It, it's, uh, it's up there. It's up there because um, you had a magical football season. I mean, you're, you've got a 13-game winning streak heading into the fall. You know, your your men's basketball team went to the conference championship game. And baseball got its culture back and its swagger back this year. Um, so so this one's up there. Uh, I, you know, I I've never sat down and tried to rank them. Probably never will. Yeah, yeah. But um, and I'm not asking you to do that. I just but but it's but no. This was a very satisfying year in a lot of ways. I think um, you know I, it was um, it was good. It was good. Awesome. You know, my if I'm if I'm hesitant with things that I say, let me explain. Okay, for about 15 years in my radio career, I did mornings, and I am being reminded this morning just how much i hate it <laughs> why um because it's it's not it's not time for me to be awake actually this is normally the time i get out of bed it's right around this time um but that makes a difference like i there's the the morning thing is most difficult and I, i've stated in the obvious here when when the alarm goes off yes like we have a, a family puppy at the moment, uh-huh. and though the the puppy stage I find, and I've had dogs before, as you know, is so important. It's so form formulative that if you mess it up, you can you can regret it for the rest of the dog's life. Correct. So like we are we are adamant about like so, so I'm waking up even earlier, get her out. Do her business, pick it up, then feed, then walk, and I get to get all that done back into. And some some mornings, you know, like I I love when you come in, and I knew you'd be in this morning. So the the I prep some, I have some notes, but not whenever I'm on by myself or maybe have a guest that I don't talk to very often. But a lot of times I'm up, and it's like when that alarm goes off and it's dark outside, and it's and and the exactly. whole house is quiet, and exactly. when I'm walking the dog and no one's yep. on the street, I'm like, ooh man. I miss afternoons. Yeah. But then uh, when I'm home in the afternoon with my kids, I'm like, man, why do I hate mornings? And then the next morning I'm like, oh, oh I hate God, yeah. it's just this cycle, right? Every day I'm like, oh, man. Like, yeah. You know, there was a time, um, and in, in fact, all of the years that I did mornings, I was on the air at six. 
So I was up 4.30 every day, which means I was in bed about 8.30 yeah. every night. Yeah, it's awful. And, um, and I remember the property was sold, and this guy named Mike Grimsley walked in, and he started interviewing everybody. He said, what do you love about your job? And I started naming all of the things I loved about my job. He said, what do you hate about your job? I said, I hate doing mornings. And two weeks later, I was doing afternoons. There you go. I said, oh, look at this. I said, I like this guy already. Mike had a birthday last week. Uh, Mike has a birthday today, Is I think. it today? It's either today or yesterday. But yeah, yeah. Happy, happy birthday. He came in last week. I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, wished him a happy birthday, an early happy birthday. But with that, that's that's... What is the earliest game in any sport you've had to broadcast? Is it like 9 a.m. or was there a weird day where it was actually before that? I don't remember doing anything before 9 a.m. But when it's 9 a.m. and there's an 8.30 No, wait a minute. Game. I do. I do. I think there was a time that we, in a tournament, we had a baseball game suspended, and we had to come back the next morning, and I think we had to start like at 8 or 8.30. <laughs> That's a, It's weird when it's that early. I like... I like sports on in the morning when I wake up. And if it's in another country, that's different. But I'm talking about your traditional, like, American. Sure. But when it's super early, I'm like, okay, there's either a storm coming or there was a storm. Right. It just feels feels odd. But um, but I, I think from a timing standpoint, I like how the regionals uh, stretched out the games. I like the schedule for it. I know they had some weather in Coral Gables. I liked it yesterday. You had... You know, LSU Southern Miss at three. You had some other games at seven. I mean, the Stanford-Texas State game, I didn't stay up for that, but I read about it. Holy cow. How 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 difficult. For those that don't know, Texas State had, what, a two-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth? It was, first of all, it was a one-to-one game. Now, we saw some really high-scoring games in regional play. And when you get to now, you know, your pitchers are depleted. It's, you know, it, it's not unusual to have a 10 to 8 game or something like that in the final 22 to 6 yeah that and um it's a 1 to 1 game in the bottom of the 8th and Texas State gets a two run single from um their 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 big designated hitter and they take a 3 to 1 lead and then they give up back to back jacks to open the bottom of the ninth inning and Stanford with two outs Gets the 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 RBI single to end it. Two outs, two strikes. Absolutely devastating. Oh no, that'll rip that'll rip your guts out. And and Brant Freeman, who for the most part does ESPN Plus telecast, but he was in Palo Alto. Um, and he's, you know, the the broadcasters in our league have a fraternity. I mean, we're all we're all pretty good friends. And um, I texted him. I said, "Dude, I got nothing." I, I got nothing that's going to make you feel better except to congratulate you on a great year because they won 47 games. Um, I thought that team, after we played them during the regular season and then after we saw them in the conference tournament, I thought that team was good enough to go somewhere and win a regional. And they came within three outs of doing it. On the road against the number two national seed. And And, and you know what makes it even worse? You win that game, you're hosting a super because Connecticut. Connecticut upset Maryland. Yes. And so UConn would have gone to San Marcos. And I might have had to make a road trip. <laughs> but I think I'm done with road trips. Yeah, road dude, road. I was about to say, I'm sure you'd love to 
keep your feet on the ground for a little while. Um, for Texas State, man, that's a that's a long flight today. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm um I'm going to add up today the uh, the number of nights I spent on the road this year. It's pretty close to a record. I'm just telling you. Well, it felt like it was a record number of runs in that Stillwater regional. I mean, it, it, over the course of of three days it, or four days, they had well over a hundred runs scored. Yeah, yeah, that was that was wild. And and I was watching it last night, and you know Arkansas's ahead, but here comes Oklahoma State. Yeah, and they got the bases loaded and they're stud up, <laughs> and and they and they strike them out. And I said, you know what? I said that that's your ball game right there. I said I don't even need to watch any more of this one. Razorbacks. They win. Ole Miss, who was, first of all, the old, the, the Super Regional in Hattiesburg is going to be nuts, by the way. Oh, you think? Um, Ole Miss was the most, dis, I think, prior to their series at LSU, which I remember being very surprised when they swept LSU. Even though LSU was very Jekyll and Hyde this year, I was very surprised that Ole Miss, at that point in time, went in and did what they did. That kind of got got their little run started that, that basically gave them enough juice to get in. They, if you look back you at know, how it, they were playing before no, that. Because, no, look, they tanked down the stretch now. And they were, the la- they were the last team in. And now. And there are going to be – there were a lot of people, including the folks at D1 Baseball, that thought Ole Miss was not deserving to be in the field. It ain't how you start. It's how you finish. Yeah, I guess it is. And so – and and yeah, that's going to be so lit this weekend in Hattiesburg because I'm I'm sitting there and I'm and and I'm watching and I'm going, okay, now let's see who are they paired up with? And I th- I was thinking and thinking and thinking and I went, oh my God, they're paired with Coral Gables and that's Ole Miss. Whoa! I just I don't think without the sweep against LSU when it happened, they're not they're that that was part of what just got them in. Yeah. And so it's like LSU, if you win one game, they're probably out now. Ole Miss, it, it, it reminds me of like when, not that they're a, a blue blood in the, the college basketball sense, but like they're you're talking about a really good baseball program. But what it reminds me of just in terms of the expectation is when like a UNC or a UConn is like, a seven, eight, or nine seed, and they've had this really disappointing regular season in hoops. But then they had this great run in the tournament, and nobody remembers the regular season. They're just like, is that is that kind of like what happened to Carolina? Yeah, this year? yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, I mean, Carolina had the extra cherry on top of, of ending Coach K, but yes. but yes, it's like you don't when you have a good run in 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 college basketball or college baseball. Doesn't matter how disappointing your regular season was, people are going to remember the postseason run. Sure. And for Ole Miss to win twenty two to seven against Arizona yesterday, I was like, Oh my oh my God. That was I I I was not expecting that many runs, but now the Rebels heading to Hattiesburg, Southern Miss hosting a super regional for the first time ever. Uh we'll get into the Southern Miss LSU game in just a moment, Jay, but what do you make of of Southern Miss, that pitching staff, and their chances of getting to Omaha? Well, I think their chances are pretty good, actually. Um, when they get to host? Because, well, you're hosting. And look, now, they didn't 
pitch like it the entire time during the regional, but that is a very elite pitching staff. And um, I, I just, I, I think they, I, I definitely think they got a shot. Um, I, I'm looking to see what happened this year. I, I, the two teams split. They played twice during the regular season, and they split. They played like ninety, like less than a right before the Ole Miss played LSU. They played Southern Miss um, in Hattiesburg and beat them. I think it was like four to one. It was a midweek game. Yeah, right? the, the the teams won. I think on the other team's field. Okay, um, but they're um, but that's an elite pitching staff. And and when you play in a super regional, especially if you're not one of the in, in in one of the elite conferences you better have the elite pitching staff that's the only way that you're going to get there and they've got it now they didn't always pitch like it this week you know their their closer got cuffed around a little bit um but i it's that is going to be one uh you know the two that i'm most interested in this weekend will be that super regional and Oklahoma going to Virginia Tech with our good friend John Sheff, who I communicated with uh, last night. And uh, the Hokies are really good. But, but Oklahoma's playing as well as anybody right now. So that, I, I think that'll be a very interesting super regional as well. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Scott Prather, Jay Walker in studio this morning. Um, LSU... Southern Miss. I'll be honest, Jay, when when Southern Miss on Sunday got into extra innings with Kennesaw State, I was like, man, L- I think LSU's going to do it. I, 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 I don't know how long this is going to last for Southern Miss, but LSU with their two crazy wins the first two games, sure. I was like, this is setting up for them to take this thing. And the way the next two against Southern Miss played out. I mean, we'll get into yesterday's game, but then Sunday's game where the bats go cold. You mentioned Southern Miss's pitching staff. Surprisingly, it was two bullpen guys that hadn't been great this year that that pitched well. You in in regional play, teams that win regionals have unsung heroes on the bump. They always do. They'll have a guy's pitch like six innings all year, and he comes in and he gets like five outs as the moment, and 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 they just they just rise to the moment. Looking at that regional, I thought that when LSU beat Southern Miss, I thought that made the regional even. Again, because of Southern Miss's pitching staff, you know, if LSU loses that game. Then they've got to go, you know, go down, play yeah. Kennesaw State, and then they've got to beat that pitching staff twice. And they're going to see Southern Miss's number three starter, who's as good a number three starter as there is. So I believed that the only way that LSU could win that regional would be if they beat Southern Miss in the winner's bracket. Then they'd have a chance. And they did. And they did. In extra innings. And they did. And, um, but when. Southern Miss came back and forced the if necessary. I said, well, you know, Southern Miss is going to find a way to to piece the pitching together. And now you're talking about a very depleted LSU pitching staff, mm-hmm. which wasn't all that good to start with. So I, you figured it was going to be a high-scoring game, that, that one team would have to hit its way to a championship, and Southern Miss did. 
But, you know, LSU's right there, and Southern Miss gets one in the ninth inning, and I'm sitting there going, that's not enough, guys. That's not enough. And then LSU goes one, two, three in the bottom of the ninth with a strikeout to end it. It was um, it was a very competitive reason. It was memorable. And as much as LSU's defense was bad this year, a pass ball, a misplayed bunt, cost them three runs. Uh, Southern Miss stepped up to the occasion. I'm just watching on TV, an electric atmosphere. Oh. And you see one team going nuts. You see another team with players crying, which is – that's the emotion of baseball. I, I – I, Spare me with all the, oh, you, you know, what are you doing? It's it, like, shut up. That was whoever was going to win that game was going to celebrate, and they damn well should because it was that kind of regional. You know, I, I think when um, when the bracket was revealed, there are a lot of, you know, I, I and, and, and I think, and this is not a knock, okay, this is a compliment to LSU fans because when the field's released, they said, well, we're just going to go take that thing over. Uh, we're mad. We're not hosting. We're just going to go take that thing over. And that's a compliment to them because they've done it so many times in the past. And when I when I kept seeing that that vibe, I said, guys, no, you're not. Okay? No, you're not. You don't understand what Southern Miss's fan base and attendance has been like this year. No, you're going to be able to get some tickets, and you're going to get some fans there. But if you think you're going to outnumber Southern Miss – Think again, because when they had that series with Louisiana Tech and drew over 15,000 for the three games, I said, this is, okay, here we go. They they get it. They get it over there. And so, no, I knew LSU was not going to go take that regional over. Now, in a lot of other regionals, they probably could have. Not that one. But not that one. And the LSU section was full. Sure. The section where they had their tickets was completely full. And they were able to get some other tickets. But it you know. was, there was, they, they didn't take it over. It wasn't outnumbered. And what it made for was, I'm sure LSU fans love the idea of taking over someone else's regional. And I guess that's good for LSU fans. What makes a great regional is when the home team has loaded the stadium, wherever it is, in the road team as a fan base that travels and their section is full to the brim and then they're kind of peppered here and there throughout. That's what makes an elite regional atmosphere or super regional atmosphere well, for and, that matter. And, and, they, you know, and both of the teams have nacho cheese as one of their colors. You know? and, <laughs> and so you look in the stands and you see all of this gold and it's okay, which gold is it? You know, because I didn't see a ton of purple. Okay, I saw a lot of gold and I knew a lot of them were LSU fans. Um, but... No, they weren't going to take that regional over. That rab- that fan base at Southern Miss for baseball has become rabid, and I can't wait for 23 more days when they become a member of the Sunbelt Conference, and I can't wait to close the regular season in Hattiesburg next year. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Scott Brather, Jay Walker. Um, Mikey Matuk, a Lafayette native who played at LSU, uh, you were – having some exchanges with him on social media. Well, I had one exchange with him. I, okay. I, 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 I want to, I want to set it up for anyone that didn't hear it. So, uh, on one hand, I'll, I'll, I'll give Mikey credit. He, I saw was very complimentative of the atmosphere in Hattiesburg. He was saying, wow, yeah. that's, that's impressive. Um, for those that don't know, a week ago, he had some, uh, LSU players on his show and he has a show in Baton Rouge and Riley Cooper, one of the pitchers, the conversation was about, you know, 
potentially hosting a Super Regional? Do you felt like you should have hosted? Are you kind of looking ahead to maybe hosting? And Riley Cooper said, I mean, we shouldn't, but I am. And he kind of had a laugh. And that turned into this big thing. And for some Southern Miss fans, it was a rallying cry like, oh, okay, sure. you're going to look. Right, exactly. Absolutely. I'm not. I know there's some LSU fans like, do you know what the conversation was? Yes, I heard it. It's right there. We know what the conversation was. Well, um, there, there, are two, there are two clips. One is just, um, they asked if they were overlooking. They said, yeah, we're overlooking, you know. And then the other was the setup and, and put the context behind it. But the reality of the situation is, whether you felt like you should have hosted or not, you don't sit there and say, yeah, we're looking ahead because we're going to host a super regional. You just, even if that's the way you feel, you don't say it. And I'm sure Jay Johnson was not happy about it. I I, I was going to say, I don't, I mean, I don't know that. And Would and, that have happened under Paul Maneri? Um, Good question. I don't know. I, I do know that, you know, I, I, I took the clip, I retweeted it, and I quoted it, and I said, sometimes humility is a good thing. What I should have said was, and put in quotes, only a fool underestimates his opponent, sure. Tony Robichaux. That's what go. I should have done. Right. Uh, and, 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 and Mikey, and, and look, I got a lot of respect for that entire family. That entire family, that's a wonderful family. And he said, well, how did UL do in its regional that, that, that that's not now, that's not the think, topic of conversation. You think he might have thought it was uh, uh, something about him instead of the clip? No, no. I, I yeah, well, I hope not because it certainly wasn't directed right, at him. Right, right. I've got mad respect for that yeah. entire family. Um, people were heated on social media last night. Now, now I you know I had a I, I had a couple of people that turned that into why don't UL fans hate LSU? And then I had one guy who who attacked me personally, and that's fine. Um, but you know, let's, let's, let's look at, at stop deflecting. Yeah. You, you, let's look you, at you what had, happened. You had you sh- players that, 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 that said they were overlooking. They lost Southern Miss had fun with it on social media. Some people have a sense of humor and can laugh about it. Even Mikey thought it was funny. He's like, I admit this clip's pretty funny. And then he, you know, he, the thing with you was different. I get it. But, you know, there are fans that are like, oh, uh, this, that, or act like you've been there. Or oh, that's so, that's not funny. Or, guys, like, relax. You you dished it out. Southern Miss won. They're having some fun. Now you got to take it. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and I'm going to disagree with the premise to begin with. LSU did not deserve to host a regional. I'm sorry. I don't think so either. I don't they, think so either. They were in position to host a regional going into the SEC tournament. And then they went one and two, losing to Kentucky. Now, they didn't lose to Auburn. They didn't lose to Florida. They lost to Kentucky. And that, along with the Florida run to the finals, the Auburn run deep into the tournament, and some other things that had nothing to do with the SEC, kept them out of hosting. They didn't deserve to host. So so stop. Well, we finished ahead of them in the SEC. Last time I heard, you had 60 games, not just 30, okay? Well, and it's not just about, the committee doesn't look at conference standings. No. To deter, I mean, well, TC, they, they do to an extent. No, but okay. okay. T- TCU didn't host? Didn't Correct. they win the Big 12? Yeah, they sure did. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of different factors is the point. 
there are a lot of different factors. And, you know, I was looking at something last night. Auburn um, had a 15 and 13 record against the top 50 of the RPI. Now, Florida wasn't quite as good. They were 17 and 21, but they played in the finals of the SEC tournament. Then you had LSU, 14 and 20. And if you and if you go to the top 100 of the RPI, LSU had a losing record. They were 20 and 21. So please stop with LSU deserved to host. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. And, and I feel like that was an... The fact that the discussion is being brought up now is just... I'm not calling everyone out. Those that are upset that they lost and are getting called out for the things that some of the players said. When you dish something out, if it works out, beat your chest. Go ahead. Yeah. You said it. You did it. Good for you. When it doesn't, take your medicine. There you go. And and, and I, I, I feel that way about everything sure. in general. In sports... It, it, you, just you, you talking think, specifically about this situation. I you mean, think I hadn't had to put salt and pepper on my foot and chew on it for a while shoot, over my man, career. I remember when when McNeese rolled UL in football. Yeah, boy, the phone lines after that game on the Rage were basically ninety <coughs> percent. Where's Jay Walker? Because <laughs> they they wanted to say something, but like my thing is, I don't, I don't. It was. It was. It became a storyline throughout that super regional, and I, I think it w- I, I thought it was fun. Now, I think some people take it too far, and then it becomes some personal thing. And it's like, have fun with it. And and and, and when I saw the sudden miss thing, I was like, it's, it's it's kind of funny. Like, I know some people are gonna be butthurt, but but if you can remove yourself from the situation, that's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. I like I like a spicy social media. Let me tell you something. The Pelicans, I know we're talking pro now. They're one of only two franchises in the NBA that never even been to a conference finals. It's not like they have this history of success. But boy, their social media team is spicy, and I, I just love it. And when you know when it bites them in the butt, you know, of course, fans come out. But I like a good spicy social media team when it's done the right way. You know, when it's when it's funny. You don't you don't want to mock somebody that's doing something serious or they didn't you know look players are emotional if they had done something and they were making fun of lsu players who were crying because their careers are over i would have been like oh that's that's fine no but the sunglasses and the clips of oh the guys said they were looking past us and then putting little sunglasses on the coach i'm like that's clever like why can't we just why can't we just have a laugh about this scott barry's an interesting guy because he go born in mississippi you know what i'm saying and and, and he's he's so folksy, and he's so, and he's also really good. <laughs> he's also really good, and he's got a great a great staff, and they recruit really really well. The interesting thing about about that series, and and I've got I've got experience in the state of Mississippi. I guess. let's just do that and, and say, you know, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. You know, you've only got three FBS schools in the state of Mississippi. You got Ole Miss, you got Mississippi State, and you got Southern Miss. Trust me when I say that the other two schools just think that that school in Hattiesburg is totally insignificant. 
And now Ole Miss has to go there as the underdog. Who has more to – if Ole Miss loses, most people would say they have more to lose here. No, I don't think so. I don't either. Because if they lose, so. they're just going to still have that same attitude. They'll be like, cool, you can have this one. Yeah. Southern Miss has more to gain and lose here. And I'm, I'm not talking about just obviously getting to a College World Series. I'm talking about in terms of overall program, what it means, all of that. I think I think there is a lot on the line here for Southern Miss. No, there is. You know, you're hosting a Super for the first time. All right, you're into uncharted territory. You haven't been to a Super in 13 years. And that's the only time you ever went to a Super. So I... I think there's a lot on the line for the for the Golden Eagles. Um, and I also think they're very, very capable of, of taking care of their business. We're going to look at some of the other super regionals that are set. We're going to take a look back at the Cajun season and the state of the program. Jay and others have said something consistently that I've heard from them the last week. I'll ask them to expound on that a little bit. Uh, phone lines are open as well. 337-269-1077. Don't go anywhere. This is the great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hey, sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch the Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now, back to more of the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Coming at you on a Tuesday. Jay Walker is uh, in the building. He'll be back on with me here in just a moment. Weather forecast today from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Daniel Phillips. Mostly sunny, high of 92, 10% chance of showers tonight. Mostly clear, low of 75. Hot and muggy. That's what it is today, y'all. Hot and muggy. Be careful out on the road. A traffic update for you. There is a vehicle accident reported a little less than an hour ago over on the corner of Southwest Evangel and Thruway and East Benhook Road. Uh, and um, that is really the latest. Everything else pretty clear out there. Hope everyone is having a great start to the summer. We'll uh, we'll chat with Jay. Talked a lot of Super Regionals, LSU Southern Miss. We'll talk some UL baseball with him. Uh, in just a little bit, the whole idea of order being restored, uh, some more specificity as to what that means as a whole and if it's sustainable, we will uh, we will get into that. I, I a couple of other things from the world of college baseball. 
What is the umpire doing in that East Carolina game? East Carolina, Coastal Carolina. East Carolina is heading to the NCAA Super Regionals. They 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 beat Coastal pretty good in the Greenville Regional. But in the seventh inning yesterday, an umpire just what what are you what are you doing? What are you doing? Nick Lucky, great name. Just I mean, crushes, tattoos, a late-inning home run. He's been doing it a lot this season. And he was looking at it, taking a few steps, and not for five seconds, not for six seconds. I mean, he's just just kind of watching it for like a second and a half. Fastball, middle, middle, middle. That's. I mean, he's 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 been, that's what he's been doing. He went yard in game seven. Overlay of, of, yet, of yesterday, third inning. This time it's only a two-run bomb. That's what he does. He hits lots of home run. Lots of home runs. But yesterday an umpire decided to just push him. That's pushing him forward, right? It was... Coastal went on. They forced game seven. ECU puts up 13 innings. And um, I guess it was during the seventh inning. Check that. So Nick Lucky is the guy that's been doing it a lot this season. Uh, Bryson Worrell, or rather Bryson Worrell, hit a three-run bomb to the moon. Just nailed it. Wasn't lucky it was Worrell. And he, he moved out of the box pretty slow. Pretty slow. He's been watching Nick Lucky for Coastal Carolina do it all year. He's like, come on, you're gonna you're gonna sit here and watch these. Let me hit this one out and you kind of sit here and watch it. And then the umpire comes in from behind and starts starts pushing him. Starts pushing him forward. I mean boom. You hear the crowd, and it's like a second, and the umpire takes his mask off and starts pushing him down the line. Look, when Nick Lucky's sitting there watching these things go yard all season, and he's doing it at the Greenville Regional, and then, you know, East Carolina has their shot, and they're crushing him. Come on now. Come on. ESPN Lafayette. Is that is he crossing the line? Is he going too far? Or is he just is this the way the game should be? What is the exact moment where if you're pimping the long ball a little too if you're pimping a, a, a doing a pimp job on a home run, how long is too long? And should an umpire actually push the batter toward first base? Speaking of first base, and there, there, there were there were some games where the umpires got involved, and it undoubtedly, you know, without replay from a certain, you know, from a certain extent, 
There's certain things you can replay. There's certain things you can't. But when I, my thing about instant replay has always been, if you have instant replay and you're allowed to review something and you still get it wrong, or, or worse, you reverse it and then it's the wrong call, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You had Michigan and Maryland. And Maryland, I, I felt like, got hosed by the college baseball ops. You have a guy running it out. I mean, Michigan got hosed. We'll get to that in a minute. But you have in the Maryland game, a guy's running it out, and they throw it over to first base. And the first baseman is standing in the middle of the bag. He's not picking a lane. He's basically standing right in the middle. A collision occurs. The ball's thrown to the inner part of the bag. If it, if if the ball's thrown there, it would have been fine. But he just stayed there. And the runner runs into him. And they review it, and then they call the runner out. Jay, did you see this? I did not. Again, my thing about replay is when you replay something and you still get it wrong, that's whenever replay drives me insane. Well, the thing about replay, you know, you keep hearing the term indisputable video evidence. And... And and I think they're serious about that. You know, we we saw a couple of calls in in our regional where when you when you look at the replay, it's like okay, they called him out. He was safe, but it's so close that they're not going to overturn it. Yeah, that happens. You know, and because it's got to be clear, and in some cases, it may be clear to us, but not clear enough to them. In the Maryland game, it was it was more of just like yeah, and I didn't see a it, runner so I getting. And I'll show you a video during the break. And then you had Michigan who lost to Louisville, but you know they won the first two games, and there was the play at second base that you know it, it, they they just they just missed it. I mean, how how did you feel overall? Because the bad call happened, and then from then it would have been a it would they would have gotten out of the inning, and then there was a run on slot. Were there any were there any calls this weekend in College Station where you're like, you know what, guys, you just got it wrong, or was it overall pretty good? No, I thought it was overall pretty good. You know, I, I think that every time they reviewed a play, it was extremely close, and either they got it right or they maybe got it wrong, but you can't overturn it. And and so I didn't, I really didn't have a problem with any of the reviews that I saw while I was there. I thought in the, the, the big ones, the three big umpire things, and I was talking about this a second ago and you're out for a minute, of the week, and one was the Maryland. The other one was Louisville, Michigan. He got him out before the guy got into second. They reviewed it. They called him safe anyway. And then Louisville you know, ends up tying the game. The play starts going insane, and then they end up – would they have won the game still with it or without it? We'll never know. And the third one, which I wanted your thoughts on before you end the hour, was you got – East Carolina and Coastal Carolina, right? And for Coastal, you, you know, you got Nick Lucky, who he he likes to admire his home runs, mm-hmm. and he was doing that. He had a late inning home run um, in the first game of the regional Sunday afternoon. It's something he's done all season. And then East Carolina is just destroying them in the regional final, and uh, Bryson Worrell hits a three-run homer, and it's like, I mean, he's looking at it, but not the way Nick Lucky does. I mean, he's maybe a second and a half. And the umpire runs behind him and starts pushing him to first base. You used to umpire. When, 
What is, how long is too long to admire a home run? Well, I think the answer to that is it depends on everything that's happened up to that point. You know, if if you haven't seen any intensity, potential bad blood, or, uh, that's one thing. But if if things are getting chippy, and 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 you can and look, umpires can feel it now. They can. Um, then I think that uh, that maybe you're going to do something to juice things along a little bit. I didn't necessarily agree with it. So you've seen this one. Yeah. Yeah. And but I don't know everything that led up to it. And and if it's East Carolina, Coastal Carolina, I'm not going to be surprised if there had been a lot of chippiness oh, well, leading up to that. I'm sure they didn't like that Nick Lucky was doing it, but he's done it. My thing is the other team did it. This team, do you let them just have their their moment here or And again, are, are you worried again, it's I think explode? the an- I, again, I think the answer is it depends. You know, it's funny because I remember in the College World Series in 2000, somebody hit a home run. It might have been Stanford against the Cajuns. And the guy stood and kind of admired it. And the next thing you see is Danny Maziotti pushing the guy toward first base. Um, in fact, I think that uh, one magazine actually brought it up and said, okay, we like this guy, talking about Maziotti. Um you know, I, I think that, look, we saw uh, at Southern Miss last year, you know, Danny Lynch hit a home run and it took him a month to run around the bases. And he got soundly booed every time he came to the plate mm-hmm. in the series uh, in Lafayette. You know, put the bat, put the bat down, run the bases, man. You know, come on. I, there, there's There's a line. I th- you know I don't I don't think this cat for for East Carolina cross it. I think you know it when you see it like that's too long but like well there's, and there's and, and the and the other thing is this, okay? You don't stand and admire a home run if you're up 5 and you don't stand and admire a home run if you're down 5 late in the game. Okay? You know there's a time and a place to showcase what you have done and it's in dramatic moments. Now if that was not a dramatic moment, it wasn't really. Okay. Was, I felt like it was just y- y'all been doing this to us. Here you go. Here's a dose. Yeah, well, that's and, what that felt. And 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 that will get you pushed by somebody toward first base. I've never, I've never seen an umpire. I, I have, I've never seen an umpire do it either. I, I I never have. But you know what? I'm not going to condemn the guy because there's really too much of this admiring stuff going on when you when you in my opinion anyway. Did it happen when you? Used to ump back in the day? Did it happen a little oh, bit? Oh, God, no. Guys never did that. And they never did it because the game policed itself. If if you if you hit a home run and you stood and admired it, either your teammate was going to get one or you were going to get one the next time you got up. And I, I could give you 10 instances over the years that I've done this, not in the last 10 years or so, when somebody, whether it was a Cajun or, or the – stood and admired a home run, and then got drilled the next time they came to bat. The game used to police itself. It doesn't anymore because umpires don't let you do it. Roger Clemens used to always drill guys, and then whenever he went to the National League and had to bat, he didn't hit as many batters anymore. That's right. 
Nobody likes getting hit with a fastball. No. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. All right, we're going to take a quick timeout when we come back. I've heard the term a lot, right? Um, order's been restored. The grit is back. In regards to Raging Cajun baseball, which Jay and I really didn't get into in the first hour much, talked about the regional atmosphere, but we talked about a lot of the other college baseball. We're going to talk about the state of UL baseball. Where was the order? What has been restored? Some of the specificity of where this team is and how this can carry over, what needs to happen for it to carry over moving forward. We're going to get into all that and more next hour, plus TTT coming your way. I'm Scott. That's Jay. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sport. ESPN 1420, KPEL Lafayette. ESPN 1033, K277DQ Lafayette, a town square media station. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I came back for the Show family and for Cajun Nation and for the 2014 team, and I believe that we gave all everybody something to be proud of this year. And these kids came along when I needed them most. And I'll always say, I'll say it again, they, <laughs> I need them way more than they need me. And that's a fact. But what makes my heart full, and I'm fine carrying on, and uh, I'm fine losing these guys right now. It's going to hurt for a couple, two or three weeks. But we have a job to do, and I feel like these kids took this program and put it back to where it's something that everybody can be proud of right now, look forward to, embrace, and really something for a community to rally around. And there's no better place than Cajun Nation. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Scott Brather, Jay Walker. You just heard it. That was Coach Matt Deggs on Sunday asked about how he thinks the 2022 team would be remembered. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I've heard that message from him, from players, from you, from others. Uh, order has been restored. The grit is back. Specifically, what what does that entail? Where did it go? And, you know, for people that, that maybe don't follow the program as obviously as closely as you, Jay, when they hear something like that, what is it what does it mean? Well after everything was over and we were out down the left field line outside the stadium just waiting for for Coach Deggs and the team to come out, and a lot of the people that were there, of course, were parents. Coach Deggs came out, and, of course, you know, so many parents came up and hugged him and, and thanked him. And and finally, I got a chance to see him. And he came over, and, and I hugged him, and I said, we got our culture back, and we got our swagger back. And then I said, and we're just getting started. And, 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 you know, I think we shared about three split seconds of a moment, you know, and, uh, 
And he looked at me, nodded his head. He said, you're right. There was, there's, when, when the Cajuns had their really, really good clubs, they always had a culture and a swagger. And, um, and, and, I, and, and I think that they did kind of lose that a little bit. They didn't have a true identity in your mind the last few years? Yeah. And, and Not to say they weren't trying to find one, but they didn't, they didn't find it. Right. And, and then, you know, you, you went through that, that tragic time, and then coach comes in, and you lose the 2020 season. But, but you want to know, and, and I hope he doesn't mind my talking out of school. 2020 season is first two games. We, we lost them both. We go to Sunday. He said, I feel like I'm letting everybody down. Now, this is two games into his career as a head coach. Two. And I said, I said, Coach, we got work to do here. I said, you, you can't just come in and wave a wand. We have work to do. And um, because the 2019 team, Tony's last team, they were not a good team. They didn't, they didn't have enough athleticism. They didn't have enough, um, you know, they had, the pitching that they had was young. They didn't have much of an identity. And then in 2021, the first season, you did not have chemistry on that team. Well, you did. It was bad. And, um, and I think that toward the end of the season, just about everybody knew it. And so he had some difficult decisions to make. He, um, he changed up his coaching staff. He had some players that, um, that left on their own, and he had some players that didn't leave on their own. And he brought in some guys who had the same grit and philosophy that Matt Deggs has. And he told me in the fall, he said, this is my team. I feel like I finally have my team. And they got off to a tough start. They were under five. They were 11 and 14 at one time, almost halfway through the season. And then it gelled. And everybody understood their role. Everybody was okay with their role. Um, I, I, I joked and at the same time, I was serious. It was the hugginest bunch of kids I've ever been around. I don't know, even with some of Tony's great teams, even the 2014 team, I don't know that I've ever seen a team as close as this one. And that is, that's going to take you places. And so it was, you know, I, I visited, you know, with, with a lot of the parents, um, and I, you know, we talked about Tim Perrin last week and, you know, that he was, you know, he basically cried all weekend, the weekend of the tournament. He did a lot of crying this week too, and that's okay. But I told Tim, I told Brandon Talley, I, I told uh, Karen Kimple and um, maybe one or two other senior parents. I said, just remember something. When your kid leaves here, he leaves here a champion. Because, you know, the rings are going to be ordered. Um, and, and so those guys, those seniors have helped restore the culture of the program. Let me tell you, there was a lot of leader, a lot of good leadership out of that senior class. 
And um, so that's what I mean when I say you got your culture back and you got your swagger back. Um, Matt Deggs is a very different coach from Tony Robichaux, and I think that a lot of the fan base had a great deal of difficulty dealing with that. In what way? Well, because if you're under the age of 40, the only baseball coaching you know is how Tony did it. Mm-hmm. It's all you know. And you got real comfortable with them over the years because, look, I mean, I could sit in the booth and I could figure out what they were going to do next. And then Matt Deggs got here and I realized I couldn't do that anymore because he's because he was so different. And every time, um, every time adversity hit, every time a, a bad patch hit, every time a uh, an inning went awry, you know, you could go on social media and, and so Robe wouldn't have done it that way because, and therefore Deggs was wrong because that's the only thing the fan base knew. Now that has changed toward the end of the season. I think for a lot of folks, they said, okay, I get it now. You know, he's, he's different. He doesn't coach the same way, but there's more than one way to win. And that's, and that's really all everybody wants to do anyway. So I think they got it now. And I think that because of the chemistry on this team and because of how hard they played and because they they had that never say die and they're down five in the conference championship game and they don't bat an eye and they come back and win, I think this year for, for, for Cajun fans turned out to be an awful lot of fun because they just loved the, st- the, journey. the journey. The journey and the swagger that this team had. And and I and I'm just here to tell you I know Matt well enough to know that when he goes out and recruits, those are the guys that he's looking for. How, is that is that the key to sustain it? You're losing seven seniors. Julian Brock's going to be drafted. We'll see what he does, but and they, Tyler Robertson will be too. Tyler Robertson. And, will in be fact, drafted. in fact, Tyler Robertson. It's it's likely we have seen him play his last game. Brock's a different story because he's a draft-eligible sophomore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Robertson, if he's drafted, he's got to go. Uh, Brock doesn't have to. You know, he can say, you know what, I, I, I don't like where I've been slotted. I, I don't like um, what I'm being offered, and, and I just come back and do it again next year. Um, will he do that? I have no idea. But that's, that's potentially in play. Point is, you got a lot to replace. Sure. How do you sustain the order has been restored? The grid is back. There's some six years is obviously too long to go between reaching regionals. Everybody that's a part of that program would all tell you that. And they don't want that to happen again. Nope. They want it. They, they, I mean, heck, Coach Tech said in the post game when he talked to Brad on, on Sunday, I just told the guys a year from now, we're going to walk through the gates of Omaha. I mean, it, the, 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 the goals are high. How do they make sure that the arrow keeps trending upward and not? You basically, gotta, basically, either down or just just stay in place, right? Not really go up or down. Just kind of be what it is now. You have to go out and recruit a certain kind of player. Not everybody can play for Matt Deggs. He's not an easy guy to play for by his own admission. He's not an easy guy. They coach hard, and and they don't accept excuses. Um. And 
they're going to get you play for the Cajuns, you're going to get pushed. So not only do you have to go out and get talent, you also have to go out and get people. And so you've got to be you've got to be really careful with who you sign. Just because a guy throws 93 doesn't mean he's going to fit in with your program. So, you know, you 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 recruit kids, you're also recruiting parents in a lot of ways. Because when you sit and you talk and, and you're in somebody's home, you're listening to what the parents are saying too. Because you've got I think today you got two kids, two types of kids. You got the water hose guys and then you got the daddy ball guys. And and you heard all of the things that Tony had to say about daddy ball, the select baseball and and what a fractured model it is. And uh, if you've got a, a, you know, if you're sitting there and you hear parents talk and they're talking about, oh, he does this and he does that and he does this, and then you hear parents go out and say, you know, you know, we we did this, but you know, we 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 push them this way and we push them that way, and uh, you know, the one set of parents on on this team, you know, Deggs had wonderful things to say about a a player after his after the last season and, and how much he liked him and what a great teammate he was. And, and I happened to relay that to a parent and you know what the response was? I guess all those ass whippings paid off when he was a kid, when he was younger. Those are the guys. And I'm not saying that he wants to look for guys who've gotten a lot of ass whippings. Okay. How many times did you hear Billy Napier say so-and-so was a great teammate? How many times did you hear that in the four years he was here? So you got to get good players, but you also got to get good teammates. And not every good player is a good teammate. And now, you could bring a kid in, and you can have leadership that goes to said kid and said and says, that's not the way we do it here. This is the way we do it here. And I think he's got those guys now that that can go out. Matt Deggs, with the leadership that he had this year, had a bunch of assistant coaches. You know, especially when you talk about the, the who I refer to as the four roommates. It was Tally and Schultz and Hefe and Perrin. You know, those five in Kimple now, that's and, – and, and a guy like Jonathan Brandon, who was a great teammate. They helped this team form the culture that they have. Now it's going to be up to Heath Hood and Will Veillon and Kyle DeBarge and whoever else they have that's coming back to teach this next class about how we do things here. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports, Scott Prather, Jay Walker. When you talk about recruiting, you see – when you say, you know, you're also talking to the kids' parents and you're learning things, I believe that when most people hear that, they are envisioning a coach in the living room. Not that it, it always plays out like this, but just a, a fan or a listener pictures a coach in the living room with parents and a kid that is maybe a, a senior in high school. I don't know what the recruiting process is like via the transfer portal in regards to the differences, aside from, well, this kid's, obviously 
his approach is going to be very different because he's been somewhere and he's looking to go somewhere else. So the approach is different. He's already had a taste of college baseball. But when you talk about recruiting in that regard that you just did, how much of it is the transfer portal? Because across the board, this is this is college sports now. How much how much of the transfer portal is used and how much of it is okay, we've we've got some some kids we're looking for that we want because Coach Deggs has said this before. We're always going to look there, but ideally you want the three- or four-year guys because that, that helps more with culture. Doesn't mean you never look to the portal. No, no, but, it doesn't mean but, that. But how much, I guess my question is, definitively, I, I, definitively is not a good word because you can't put, you can't have it definitively, but when you talk about recruiting a certain type of kid, how much are you talking about the transfer portal versus the traditional model that most I, folks know I about. think in the case of Raging Cajun Baseball and in the case of Matt Deggs, I think you look to the portal. I don't think you rely on the portal. Um, you know, he may be looking at, you know, his squad as it stands right now and, and we'll know more after the exit meetings um, and say, okay, this is what I have. This is what is coming in. What am I missing? And that's when he's going to go to the transfer portal and say, okay, I need a, a left-handed pitcher or I need a left-handed bat or I need a, I, I need a catcher because he signed a high school kid, but that's all he's got right now. Um, I, I believe that that's the way he's going to, to do this. And then he's going to make a lot of phone calls and he's going to talk to a lot of coaches that are familiar with kids and he's going to find out a lot more about their makeup and and then then you go from there. You know, here's the thing about the transfer portal that fans don't understand. And this is in all sports now. I'm not just talking about baseball. The transfer portal is rampant with somebody else's problems. I mean, why are kids leaving? Why are kids leaving? They weren't getting what they wanted. Um I'm not getting enough playing time. He's not using me the right way, you know. Or maybe not as much, but maybe to a lesser extent, their coach left or. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you no. Know. You have the coach leaving or maybe you've got a kid that says, you know, I signed with this school, but I feel like I want to play for a bigger school now because I've de- I've developed more. You have those as well. But I'm telling you, and I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of the transfer portal is you're recruiting somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. And you got to be really, really careful. And you may have some kids got some really nice numbers, but he's a problem. And that's why you've got to be really careful with the transfer portal. I think especially as a mid-major, because the chemistry thing is so very, very important. What did Coach Robe always say about chemistry, Jay? Makes a great team average or an average team great. And, and I um so I think that's the way he's going to use the portal, but I think he's going to be very selective. Will the portal in your mind be used as much in baseball as it is in basketball? Yep. You think it's going to be across the board in all sports or some sports more? Than no, others? no, I and you know, well well okay, I cover three sports, all right? I don't know what the transfer portal is like for softball and women's basketball or soccer or anything else. Okay. But I do know what the portal is like in the other sports, and look, in, in all classifications, you had over 3,500 kids in the transfer portal for football. 3,500 kids in the transfer portal. 
you had a significant number in basketball as well. Of course, not that number because the rosters are so much smaller. But you can go to Transfer Portal right now. And and I can guarantee you the season, you know, some people's season not even over yet. And I can guarantee you you're going to find 1,500 kids in the Transfer Portal. Coach Des. And, and a lot of them, a lot of those kids will never play baseball again. In regards to football, Coach Michael Desimo said basically a similar sentiment um, to Coach Deggs, right? We, we're always going to look for the portal, but we're not going to rely on it. We're going to look when we might be thin at a specific position, check it out, see if we can get help. But ideally you want, you know, the, the, the four-year guy. You said you think that's more important for mid-majors. Do you think it will it, – it, it's interesting you say that because I think some folks look at mid-majors differently and say, well, they need that because that's how they, that's where they can get more talent. I, I, think, I, I think that – I don't – I dismiss that now. I don't – I didn't dismiss it for all mid-major programs when it was the old way of you have to sit out of here because right. you, you – the kids willing to sit out a year it's that's a sacrifice they're making and so you can you can learn some different things about them but the the way it is now i think i agree with you i i i don't think oh well mid majors maybe utilize this more i think that that the idea that that the the the, the power schools didn't do it that much and the mid majors did i think the current state of the transfer portal has now flipped that and i think you know, like you said, for whatever the reason might be, but in some cases it's kids saying, well, you know, I, I can I can get a bigger platform or I can get this or I, I, I NIL, whatever you want to pick. I think that's flipped where now you might be seeing more of the transfer portal used at the power level as opposed to the mid-major level, and it used to be the opposite. I think yeah, that's I, where it's I, trending. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um you know, Jay Johnson was able to bring in a few graduate transfers or, or a few transfers that made LSU better in a hurry. Um, you've got um, Coastal Carolina. They had great success with the transfer portal this year. And and that's why they were able to get from, you know, where they had been to, to being a, a contender for a championship. I I think the, the yeah, the portal can make you or break you sometimes. And, you know, I think what happened with Gary Gilmore is I think he brought in some guys, but I think he brought in some guys with some talent, but also some hard-nosed guys. And and here's the other thing that was different this year. You know, college baseball in the, in the regionals, you've had a record number of runs scored, record number of home runs hit. you got a lot of 23, 24, 25-year-old guys still playing college baseball because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to see that over the next couple of years diminish to where now you're going to get back to 18 to 21-year-olds. Um, it, it may take another a year or two for that to happen. But um, a lot of these and, – and so they've had a chance to get bigger and more physical. And I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing so many runs scored uh, in college baseball this year. There were a lot of scored runs in the regionals this past weekend. I mean – more than I can remember. Again, the Stillwater Regional was insane. I mean, the, the numbers there it was over a hundred runs scored. Yeah, well over a hundred. You know how do how do you uh, how do you fall behind twelve to nothing and then come back and win by two touchdowns? You know, you, <laughs> there, you're was, down there tw- were a good you, bit of football. You're down scores. twelve to nothing. You come back and win twenty nine to fifteen. Yeah, 
Not preseason football scores, regular season football scores. Yeah. 27 after the hour, Scott Prather, Jay Walker. You were mentioning earlier about fans of a certain age and sort of what they know, whether you're talking about Cajun baseball fans, right? Coach Robichaux of a certain age. You don't really know anything other than that if you follow that program. I have to remind myself of that a lot as I get older, right? Like I, I, I remembered in 2011, oh, I don't know, a kid called the show. I was talking NBA, GOAT talk, whatever. Kobe Bryant, best player I've ever seen in my life. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what? I agree with you. How old are you? You said 16. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. Probably the best player you've been able to watch in your life. That's all he knew, right? He, he, he didn't know Bird Magic. He didn't know MJ. When, when I Now, as I get older, when I talk to fans, I often want to know their age because you can, you can learn pretty quickly, okay, if you start talking about a certain sport and who you think the best is or who you believe, what, what style of play you think works and doesn't work, if you just tell me that, I can usually guess your age within about five or six years. Here's 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 an example for you. Okay, I'll give you an example in in a, a couple of sports. What is the debate in basketball? Who's who's the goat? Where where's the debate? MJ LeBron is where the majority of the debate always goes. MJ LeBron Kobe. Okay, I, I don't think Kobe belongs, but okay. All right, best player I ever best player to me in the history of, of professional basketball is Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And it's not close. Funny. Okay, not close. Then, baseball. Well, guess what? He's pushing ninety. The best player I've ever seen is Willie Mays, and he played for the Giants, a team that I hate. But he's the best I've ever seen. It's not close. Yeah. So, you know, by that you can tell I'm an older guy. Um. So you know when when. When we have these LeBron, MJ, I just sit there and laugh. Hey, how old are you? Uh, old a, lot, are you? A, a lot older than most. But, when it, but whoever's debating it, ask it. Because sure. like, I, I, I think Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time. Now, and you should. I didn't based watch, on your age. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't watch a ton of Kareem. I, I certainly didn't see him at his prime. I didn't watch Oscar Robertson. I certainly didn't watch Bill Russell. You know, I watched MJ. I watched. My memory of the NBA goes back to to late '80s. Kind of my early memories are Bird when his back was giving out, Magic pre HIV, but only for a few years, and kind of the bad boy Pistons, and you know many years of Stockland Amon, Utah. He never won a title, but like that's I'm going back in all sports to like late '80s. That's just everything before that. It's what I've read. It's what I've seen. It's what I've seen on ESPN Classic. Like. Jim Thorpe might be the greatest athlete of all time. Didn't see him play. You know, Babe Ruth, he's always on the Mount Rushmore, but like how many people around now saw him play? Oh, that would be nobody. They just know, okay, the history. But like they, as we get older, the the, the Mount Rushmore discussions and, and who the best is, no one does it, but it really should just be done in tears based on stages, right? I mean, in the NBA, it was Magic and Bird in the 80s. Kareem before that, maybe Oscar Robinson, right? You could go back. But Bird and Magic, they, that, was an era, that was an era. Sure. Then you had the MJ era. Then you had the 
Kobe, Allen Iverson kind of era where they were like the guys. And then you had LeBron. And, and yeah, there is some crossover, but in terms of when the guys sort of reached their peak and who's going to be next, uh, time will tell. But whatever sport it is, when you start having these discussions, you can always get a pretty good idea of someone's age based on how they feel about it. And, and you just, you reminded me of that when you're talking about Robe, and it's like, golly. I, mean, I talk to some Saints fans sometimes, Jay, and I hear them complaining about stuff, and I'm like, you, 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 you've had it so good. You know? Yeah, you have. You've had, imagine, like, when I was young, Boston fans, you know, they, the Red Sox fans were always whining and complaining. Not even when I was young, as I was, like, getting older, it was in my, oh, this, uh, we're cursed, this and that. Imagine a, a, a kid that's, like, 25 or 26 that grew up in the Boston area and is a fan of all those teams. I mean, that little... Bleepity bleep is all they know is championships and winning. So of course that what happens whenever uh you know a fan base or franchise goes through long droughts. I don't know. You learn you learn who's who's there and who's not, who's been there mm-hmm. before and who's not. It's almost like if you have to go through the bad to get to the good, you're always gonna appreciate the good more. Amen to that. I'm sure. For you, you've called a number of regionals, but the six-year wait and everything in between for Cajun baseball, I'm sure this past one, I know obviously the Cajuns didn't win. They went one and two, but being there might have been more, maybe not the most special one ever, Jay, but I bet it was, it ain't at the bottom of the list. No, it certainly isn't. It is, it is, this is one of the more satisfying seasons that I've covered um, because midway through, the, look, this team was 11 and 14 at one time. And and in that regard, I'll tell you who they reminded me a little bit of was the 2010 team that midway through the season was had a losing record, and they had a losing record in conference, and then they won 17 out of their last 18 conference games and dogpiled in Monroe. Zach Osborne, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach Osborne and Justin Robichaux were the yeah. were the two leaders uh, of that That's team, true. two clubhouse leaders, and. Um, that year was very satisfying. And then they went to a regional and won their first game. Well, so did the Cajuns this year. But this was this was very gratifying because I know how hard this coaching staff has worked, and I know how much I have really come to respect the ball players on that team and how hard they played. And look, we haven't we haven't really talked about this. You know, they went into that regional without Connor Kimple, who was their on-the-field senior leader. Mm-hmm. They went into that. They lose Marshock in the first game. But you've got Rockefort with two bad wrists. You've got Veyon with a bad hand. You've got Brock, who's been getting beat up all year long. I I was talking with, with Brian Davis. And I said, you know, I said, you got a couple of guys out. And I said, I, I know that Rock and Veyon and Brock are really playing hurt. I said, who else is hurt? And he looked me in the eye and he said, all of them. Mm-hmm. Some more than others, but all of them are hurt and they're playing hurt. And But they just want to play. And it's one of the things that I, I just loved about this team. They were so hard-nosed. I like hard-nosed players, man. And I don't care what I don't care what sport we're talking about. I, I like hard-nosed players, and this team had a bunch of them. 
ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Phone you know, lines are open, you know, 337-269-1070. Was, you, know, you know what I wish would have happened, though? Wish the Cajuns had won that game against TCU and gone on to play A&M again. And, I'll, and let me tell you why. And this is something that a lot of folks don't know. Had that happened, Dylan Toit was going to get the start. Okay. And it was pretty obvious to me that that was the case because he didn't pitch in the TCU game. Dylan Toit's parents are both A&M graduates. Mm-hmm. So how special would that have been, you know, for him to pitch on the mound in College Station against A&M as Aggie parents of a Cajun? That would have been a great story within the story. I'm I'm sorry we didn't get to see it. And and Scott, his dad, you know, asked me, we're getting ready to leave, and they organized the, the, the big tailgate that, that they had going on for Cajun fans. They organized it as A&M grads. And uh, and he said, uh, do you think that he was going to start Dylan? And I said, well, the fact that Dylan didn't pitch tells me that, yeah, he probably would. And he, and he just he just sighed and said, man, that would have been great. And uh, I saw uh, Seth Thibodeau back at the hotel when the team was showering before they left. I said, was Toy going to start? And he said, yeah. And I, I texted Scott and I said, yeah, I confirmed Dylan was going to start. He said, I hope he would have cut him up like this left-hander is doing because the left-hander TCU started, kept A&M at bay for a while. And um, I, I, I'm just sorry. Yeah, I just thought it would have been cool if it would have happened. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. All right, that is Jay Walker. I'm Scott Prather. There's really no way to transition, but we're just going to go ahead and do it. All right. Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame. Yes, indeed. A new induction today. Hey. The only terrible tune that we've played on these airwaves that uh, came out in the 19th century. By far the oldest terrible tune we've ever played. And I played this song prior to it being a little more known because the 2016 film starring Meryl Streep. I, I knew you were going to do this. Where she, you know, she was nominated. It came out. But before that movie even came out, I had played this song. Right. The Emperor Has No Clothes. This is essentially that. Florence Foster Jenkins was the socialite um, and we'll call her an amateur soprano who uh, just was a terrible, terrible singer. Stephen Pyle ranked her the world's worst opera singer ever, but no one wanted to tell her how bad she was. And then before anybody could really realize it, suddenly she was like booking you know, the big theater in New York City in the late 1800s. It's been a while since I've played this, but it is going into the TTT Hall of Fame. Which means it never gets played again. Queen of the Night by Mozart, as sung by Florence Foster Jenkins. Some flofo for you. TTT Hall of Fame. Oh, 
nailed it. There it is, another TTT Hall of Famer. There was never any doubt she was going in. Oh, she was going in. She was going in. I mean, she's been in multiple TTT Hall of Famers, but now it's official. Yep. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back. Uh, a radio host that took things a little too far. Oh, you with, think? With, with, wait, what do you, you don't even know where I'm going. Oh, with. no, I know exactly where you're going. Okay. A radio host is back from the suspension for taking things a little too far. We'll give you the details on that. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the great Scott show. Scott Prather, Jay Walker. It's been fun. Thanks for coming in this morning, my friend. Thanks for having me. I need a nap, but uh, it's all right. It's all good. You got some time for a nap now. You get to you get some get a little rest this summer. Um, I'm going to find a way. Yeah, uh, you know, like I said later today, I'm going to go and find out exactly how many nights I spent on the road this year. It's pretty close to a new record. Enjoy some enjoy some nights at home. With the family, with the dog. Jagger, Jagger and I are going to spend some quality time together this summer. I've kind of ignored him uh, way too much. There you go. And, you know, he's he's not a lap dog, but he's really good at coming up and, and putting his mm-hmm. – Putting his paws like on your shoulders, oh, yeah. and putting his face like his nose right up to yours. That's what doodles do, man? He's not a doodle. What is he? My dog is not a mutt. Uh, he's a kind of doodle, though, right? A no, lot. he's a he's a standard poodle. A standard poodle. I'm sorry. Why did I think he was a cross? You know what? Crosses are so popular. I thought he was a labradoodle. My fault. No, I I um. You know, and I jokingly say that about golden doodles and labradoodles. Uh-huh. I said I don't have a mutt because you know, really, they're crossbreeds. Okay, uh, they're designer dogs. Is what they are. Um, I think the the doodle, the golden doodle, is about the most amazing dog because it's got it's got the poodle size and beauty, but it's got the golden retriever's temperament. You know, standard poodles are a little bit more high strung. My parents have a golden doodle. They've had them rocky. They've had them for geez, ten years now. Yeah, I uh, no, I, I no, I love them. And and when I was looking, it was like, okay, ri- which route do I want to go? And I decided on the poodle. I don't regret it, but I think gold, golden doodles are great. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. All right, we have two instances of uh, what not to do when you're broadcasting. Okay. Okay. First, let's start with the one you were referencing. Um, An ESPN broadcaster named Troy Eklund, a former Arkansas baseball player. There's Arkansas tie-ins to both of these things, by the way. Of course it is. Um, Made a statement during the Friday broadcast of an Oklahoma State-Missouri State game about Tennessee, the number one overall team, uh, and 
they were without their star catcher and outfielder Evan Russell. He was a surprise scratch from the lineup. Eklund announced that on the air announced that Russell didn't play because he had failed a drug test. The exact quote. It was pretty crazy. He failed the drug test. So Evan Russell is suspended for the rest of the season. So Tennessee is going to have the whole rest of the team tested tomorrow, or the NCAA is. Performance enhancing drugs is what it was said. Neither of those things were accurate or substantiated. He was not suspended for failing a drug test. The rest of the Tennessee team was not subject to NCAA drug testing. Who knows where in the hell he got that information, but that is that is that is um exhibit A. Exhibit B is an Arkansas radio host on ESPN Arkansas in Northwest Arkansas who got into trouble and got suspended for a stretch from his from his post when he went on a rant against Arkansas Razorbacks baseball player Michael Turner. Michael Turner, who, by the way, was just named the Stillwater Regional MVP. There was a rough patch late in the season for Arkansas. Turner was asked about it, and he said, and I quote, it's not always easy to play here. If you read Twitter after the game, it can get in your mind a little bit. Just pointing out, you know, young guy, fans get on you. It's tough sometimes. So the next day on his show, Ruskin says, and I quote, about Turner, you're not a Razorback, you're a rental player and have sucked to come in here and criticize this fan base, he referred to him as a stupid ass, a disgrace, and a loser. Uh, Derek, just to take things a bit too far. That is exhibit B. Both things are bad, guys. Okay? Who, 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 who's the, who screwed up more here, Jay? <laughs> well, we'll find out when the uh, ESPN guy is sued by the Tennessee player. In Ruskin's case... You're hosting a show. You can be a bit too emotional. It's an opinion that was stupid. He's apologized a ton, says he's going to learn from it. It's a bad look. He has to deal with it, but I'll I'll give him that. Both are bad, but I'm with you. In the case of this cat for ESPN. You accuse somebody of using drugs. It's like, <laughs> hello? Not just, you didn't accuse it. You said on a national broadcast that yeah. it happened. Right, right. And, and then... Almost we're hinting at, if you hear the tone of it, that, oh, the whole team might be in trouble here. What are you doing? Exactly. Now, you know, you go back to the the, the guy who called the player names. You know, did, did you honestly defend your fan base against a student athlete? For, did you honestly do that? And not, not the entire fan base, only portions of the fan base that might be overly critical of a player, of a college athlete on social media. Those were the only people you were defending <laughs> by calling this guy who was a transfer, who just helped Arkansas advance to a super regional. I I, I I don't know anything about Michael Turner. I just know the better he does, the more this guy has to kind of just look like a fool. And so I'll be rooting for him. But, uh, yeah, that was our um, first and probably – Maybe last segment of what not to do if you're an Arkansas announcer. That's funny. That's Jay. I'm Scott. 
If you miss any of today's show, we'll have it up for you via the podcast, Great Scott Show podcast, on the ESPN Lafayette app on demand, ESPNLafayette.com, or wherever you get your podcast from. Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, all of that. This is fun. Yes, it was. Get some nap. Get, get get some sleep. Take some naps. Enjoy the time with Jagger. Sleep in your your home for a little while. Enjoy being back. And I'm sure you'll be watching plenty of baseball. We didn't even get to talk major league baseball. Maybe we'll do that next week a little bit. I know we'll be talking about the college world series. You're right. Yeah. What am I thinking? That's right. What are you thinking? TTT next week as well. Don't go anywhere. The Dan Patrick Show is next. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. 